Thanks for reading, Randy. My name is Russ Ramsey. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown. If you haven't seen me before, it's because normally I'm at the 12th South Congregation, uh, but I'm glad to be here with you today in this topic, uh, talking about uh, gifts and gifts that the Lord gives us and how we use them. I I think there probably uh, aren't any cities that I can think of where this is more germane to our culture uh, than thinking about giftings uh, and how we use those gifts that God has given. You guys, um, you know, seen David Letterman's segment that he does from time to time, Stupid Human Tricks? You ever seen that? People do weird things. If I had more courage than I currently have right now, I would open up the floor for Stupid Human Tricks and say, all right, if you've got a ringer, and you just know you've got a ringer, uh, come up here and do it. Some of you would be getting up out of your seats right now to come up here. I know something I can do that will blow your minds, right? God gives us gifts, and we can think of those gifts in a range of ways, but today we want to talk about how do we have our minds right when it comes to thinking about the gifts that the Lord gives us? How do we understand them in the context of a healthy, mature spirituality? How do we understand these? And it's sacred ground that we're walking on because for many of us, we need our gifts to function in our lives in certain ways. And when they don't, we don't know who we are anymore. We get lost. We get upside down. What are the gifts that you have? Think about this. What are the gifts that you have? And how do you need them to function in your life? It's an important question because they can function basically one of two ways. The first way is in an outward way that I have gifts and I want to use them to bless others. I want to use them for the glory of God. I want to use them to reflect truth and beauty to people around me. The other way, though, that we can use our gifts is in a very inward way, that my talents, my abilities, my gifts are given to me in order that I might distinguish myself from you, that I might figure out where I am in the order of who's best, who has the most importance, who has the most value. And this is a holy place for a lot of us, sacred ground, places that we become like, like, like mother bears with cubs in this, where we don't want people to really cross certain lines with us when it comes to our gifts and abilities. And Paul is talking to a church of people that are young, They're first-generation Christians, all of them. They haven't been at this for very long. They haven't been steeped in the gospel for all that length of time. And they're trying to understand how do we do life together. And Paul is talking to them about a problem that they have. And the problem is that they're in this competition when it comes to the gifts that the Lord has given them. They're trying to figure out, well, who's really the most important? Who really has the most value? Who's, Who's really, you know, the best here? in this congregation. And Paul is saying, time out. You're, you're thinking about this in a way that you need not think and you shouldn't think about it. He's wanting them and us to understand what's the relationship between your individuality, which you have, and your belonging in a community, which you also have. 
What is the relationship between your individuality as a person with gifts and talents that are unique, that are just yours, that you have this individuality, and yet you belong in this community? And it takes a high level of maturity, spiritual maturity for us to even go down this road in a healthy way to think about this. Why? Because I want to be special. I want to be special. I want people to love me for the things that make me unique. And you do too. You know, we, we, this is what we want. And so we find our importance and our value and how we compare, how gifted we are. Teddy Roosevelt, I think, I think he's the one who said this, comparison is the thief of joy. If he didn't say it, whoever said it, thank you. It's a very powerful observation, isn't it? That comparison is the thief of joy. And our hearts leap when we hear this because we all have done this. We've compared ourselves to others and we've been miserable the entire time, right? Comparison is the thief of joy. And yet, many of us believe that happiness is found in being better and being better than the people around us and being better than we currently are. For some of us, this is the story of our professional life that happiness for me is found in being better than I am, or happiness for me is found in being better than you are. And Paul is doing work on this. this can, these gifts that God gives us, they can be used for such beauty, such truth, such wonder, but they can also become catalysts for incredible psychosis, Right? You have these crazy trains you ride when it comes to your gifts, and I have them too. Things that I need my gifts to do certain things, and I have this way that I measure how effective it is. And, and you do too, and Paul is saying, look, that's not ever going to satisfy your soul. You're not ever going to find satisfaction in your soul by figuring out where you are in some pecking order. The satisfaction of your soul is found only in embracing the one who has given you gifts and understanding that he's given you those gifts for the glory of his name. It calls to mind the picture of an orchestra to me. Think about that. You know, an orchestra pit that's just filled with gifted players. It's one of the things that Paul is saying is you are gifted. It's not maybe someday you'll become gifted. It's that you are gifted. You have gifts that God has given you already, things that he means to use for the glory of his name. You've got this orchestra pit full of people who are gifted, and they have these roles that they play. Some of them are going to solo. They're going to carry the main melody of the piece, and some will never be individually distinguished, ever like the bass in an orchestra. You almost never hear it as an individual solo instrument. But without it, a lot is missing. You can tell with that low end not there. There are some parts of the orchestra where your function is to keep things moving in the right rhythm, in the right time, and others that are there to establish counter-melody and harmony. And they come together, and what they end up producing is a symphony, and it's beautiful. That's an image of what it means for us as Midtown to be a church that is filled with people with gifts, that we're not all soloists, and we're not soloing all the time, and neither are we all just a symphony full of 
base, you know, that the Lord brings things together and he does this his way. Paul, in, in talking to the church here, he's basically giving us these two counterbalanced points. One is we need each other. When it comes to our giftings, we need each other. You, we need each other's gifts. And the other point is, and we're different from each other. We're not the same. So we need each other and we're different from each other. It's what he's talking about. He says, you know, the, the body can't say to, uh, the body doesn't consist of one member but of, but of many. If a foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it doesn't mean that he's not a part of the body. He is a part of the body. The eye can't say, because I don't belong to the, uh, because I, or the, the ear can't say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. No, you still are. You still are part of the body. When, when Randy read this text earlier, um, did it bother any of you what Paul is saying? If it didn't, let me tell you perhaps why it should bother you. Um, on the one hand, Paul is saying, you have gifts. You have gifts that are important to the church. You have gifts that other people need. They need these gifts from you. But on the other hand, he's also saying, none of us are so gifted that we don't need each other. None of us. I'm not all I need. I'm not. But I'm also not all I've got. That I lack. There are things that I need that I lack. But in his mercy, he gives those to you for me. And he brings us together but it's more than that. Paul is also telling us why this is. It matters. It matters. Paul's saying, hey, the reason that you don't have everything you need in your own giftings is because God made you that way. It's by God's wise decree that you would not have every gift that you need. That he would make you to be somebody who requires the help of others. It's an important thing he's saying. He's saying this, it's, not a, it's not a problem of the fall that you are in need of help. It's a part of his mercy that you are in need of help because he's calling us, calling us back into community calling us into relationship with each other. That's why we're many members making up one body. That's why I don't have everything that I need for everything he's called me to be and do. That he, he is calling me to, to live in the context of a relationship, of a community, and he makes me this way, and he makes you this way. It's not God being stingy with gifts. God's gracious with gifts. Gifts that he calls us to use, that he calls us to cultivate, that he calls us to refine, that he calls us to sharpen. But they're his gifts nonetheless, and he, and he calls us to use them, and we need each other. We're like this image of an orchestra where we, 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 we're made to express. And that's, I love that idea, don't you? that we're made to express, that we're not just made to, you know, part of the challenge of preaching sometimes is that I have a lot of words on a page right here that I can read. 
But I also have this call to express, to not just read, but to, but to read in such a way to where I'm conveying as best as I can before the Lord the heart of what it is that he's trying to say. And it's, it's an art. Life is an art. Your gifts are all artistic gifts, whether you know it or not, whether you recognize them as such or not. All of the gifts that the Lord has given you are artistic, meant to display truth and beauty. We need each other. We're meant to express truth and beauty to the mind, to the heart, to engage the heart, to the senses. We're meant to express truth and beauty to the imagination. And what Paul is saying to the church is, you can't do that alone. You're not made to do that alone. You need to be part of a symphony. You need to be part of an orchestra. If we're just an orchestra pit full of people who are trying to solo over one another, let me tell you what happens. I will hear myself. If I'm trying to solo over you, I will hear myself. And I will probably even like what I hear. But to anyone else who's listening to the noise that's coming from this place, that's all it will be. It's just a bunch of noise. Just a bunch of people trying to solo over each other. And Paul is saying, that's not how your gifts are meant to work. You're called to work together in harmony. Midtown is a church with amazing gifts. Amazing. In fact, I, I've never been around a group of people more gifted than Midtown. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'm not complaining. Uh, when you think about the world-class gifts that are represented in this room, there are many that are very obvious, right? The world-class musicians and scientists and doctors and engineers and teachers and counselors and painters and designers and chefs. I mean, just wonderful things that we just love to benefit from those gifts. And these gifts are on display. But Paul said, you know, there's also gifts that are not the kind that are on display. And yet they're just as important. His analogy is very intriguing because he's talking about the body and he's talking about the parts of the body. And here's what he said. He said that there are parts of the body that have noble functions and they're on display for the world to see. There are other parts of the body that are his word unpresentable and so they're treated with greater modesty. It's a fascinating analogy. Nowhere in here is Paul implying that there are dishonorable parts of the body but what he is saying is that there are parts of the body that aren't meant to be obvious to the world. What does that have to do with spiritual gifts? You and I, we have gifts that no one may ever really actually notice except for people who are very close to us. And yet, they're important. They bear themselves out quietly. Some people have this gift of being very emotionally stable. And you live in a community of people who are just not, not that way. And that stability that you bring, that sobriety, that calm, people love that part of you. They may not be able to put their finger on it and say, 
I love that you're so, such a stabilizing force. But it's a gift that the Lord uses to, to temper and to encourage and to restrain and also to release people in their passion. Or the gift of kindness, you know? Kindness. It's not something we look at and we say, this person is just my favorite person in the world because of their kindness. And yet that kindness changes the dynamic in a room full of sarcastic people. Or, or empathy or discernment. The list could go on and on, but the point is that we have gifts, some of which are gifts that are out front, some of which are used for soloing, for being out there loud and in front. And we all have gifts like this, and we all also have gifts that are not that way. Gifts that are part of the symphony, but not soloing. But they're there, and they're important. Now, why does this matter? Why would Paul talk about this? Why would we talk about this? What's at stake when it comes to the way that we think about our spiritual gifts and the way that we engage them, the way that we cultivate them and use them? It's an important question. Why? Why does this matter? And the answer, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but let me just reiterate it this way, that we have an incredible capacity for being conduits for beauty and truth in the way that we use our gifts. God honoring, glorifying to him, using our gifts to bless others and glorify his name. We also have an incredible capacity for ugliness in the way that we use our gifts. When we use our gifts to say, I have these gifts, therefore I'm better than you, I'm more valuable than you, I'm more important than you. Or the converse, I don't have your gifts and therefore I'm not as valuable as you. I'm not as important as you. That's an ugliness that Paul is contending for us right now on this point. It matters because truth and beauty is at stake. Christ is the head of the body, he's saying. He's the head. He's the one that we function under. It's his will. It's for his will that we live and we move and we have our being. It's the call of the Christian to follow Christ and to be a part of his body. And Paul is saying this is beautiful. Here's how he says it in the last verse that we read today. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it, which is beautiful. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. And that's beautiful. With Christ as our head, when one part of the body suffers, the others come alongside in empathy and love and grieve. And it's a beautiful support. It's a beautiful picture of the body being one. And when one part is honored, we rejoice together in that honor and it makes the joy exponentially greater. And that's beautiful. But here's what's ugly. When I'm the head of my own gifts, when I need my gifts to establish for the watching world that I have worth and that I have value, here's what happens. When I suffer, I will not let you suffer with me. If you come alongside me in empathy and try to comfort me, I will be suspicious of you of your motives. Why are you doing this? I will think that you're self-righteous. 
I will think that you're condescending. I will think that you don't have any, any way to really know what's going on inside of me or that you're just gloating in how, how wonderful your life is. You, because I'm starting from the position of you can't understand my suffering because we are not one. Here's the other thing that's ugly is when I'm honored and I do something right and I hit a home run and somebody comes and they congratulate me and they affirm me, I can't receive that either. Let's just use music as an example. You perform and someone comes to you afterwards and says, that was really powerful. I really needed that. That really spoke to me. If Christ is the head of what you're doing, you can receive that praise in a way that says, thanks be to God. But if you're the head of what you're doing, tell me if this isn't an experience you have, whether it's in music or any kind of performance. Somebody says, thank you for that. That really ministered to me. And your first thought is, you are crazy. You're crazy. I forgot the words five times. I flubbed that key change. And don't even get me started on how dead the room was tonight. It was terrible. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're acting like you're the head of your own gifts. Someone wants to rejoice with you in your gifts, but you can't allow it because you are the hand and you're saying to the ear, I can't understand what you heard, what you think you heard. Paul is saying, look, when we're one, our gifts combine together like a symphony, like a body, and it's beautiful, and it's meant to work together to where we're complementing each other. You have gifts. They've been given to you by God. They're beautiful. They have a purpose to serve one another, to bring glory to his name. So imagine, imagine what it would look like if we had a spiritually mature understanding of our gifts, imagine using your gifts for the reason God gave them. Imagine if the heart of your giftings was a desire to glorify Him and to bless others. Imagine that you understood with spiritual maturity that some of your greatest gifts might be modest gifts. Gifts that are never really meant to draw attention to you by being front and center, but rather by blending into an orchestra of beauty and truth. And imagine that you loved those gifts. Imagine that you understood with that same spiritual maturity that though some of your greatest gifts are meant to be solos, are meant to sound like a soloist in a symphony, you know that without the rest of the body of musicians, you can't resonate the way that you hope to. Imagine being so secure in your role in God's kingdom that you can play your part and at the same time still hear the rest of the symphony that's happening around you as though you were one in the audience. Imagine that the driving factor behind the use of your gifts wasn't to hear how well you did, but was to hear how beautiful the symphony itself was 
And that's what motivated you. And nothing gave you greater joy than knowing that those who were listening, what was bringing them joy wasn't you, but was the author's composition. And that you, the musician in the symphony, were faithful to it in such a way that you didn't get in the way of it. What we're talking about is worship. Worshiping God with our gifts. Imagine your gifts were for the glory of Christ and the blessing of others. Imagine that it brings you joy to know that you are not all you've got, but neither are you all you need. It would look like worship. We're going to watch a video right now, a short video by Sigaros. It's from them recording in the Abbey Road studio. Let this be a contemplative moment. The only direction I would give you as you watch it is find yourself and your gifts in as many places as you can as you watch this video unfold. 